Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome again to Life Church Buffalo. If you are new with us, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Pete, and I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor here, and we are so excited that you've decided to come and spend some of your beautiful, glorious uh, Memorial Day weekend here with us. We know that there's a lot of things that you could be doing right now, but you've decided to spend some time here with us, and so we're grateful for that. And uh, you are joining us on week two of a series uh, that you just heard that we started last week called No Place Like Home, and we kicked it off last week talking about a winning game plan for families. And today's talk, as you just heard Pastor Lauren mention, is it runs in the family. Because let's be honest, for all of us, if we want to have winning families and relationships, there are some things in our past that we probably have to move past. And as you just heard Pastor Lauren share with some things that he's inherited from his father, there are things that all of us have inherited from our family that are passed down from generation to generation. Not just your charming good looks, but there are all sorts of genetic traits that get passed down to us from our parents. I looked a few of those up and I found some to be interesting, some kind of humorous. Did you know that earlobe attachment is a genetic trait? Those of you that have like attached earlobes or detached earlobes, you got that from your parents. Also, dimples are a genetic trait. They get passed down from generation to generation. Those of you that know how to curl or roll your tongue uh, is a genetic trait that was passed down from your parents. I cannot do that. My wife, Kelly, can. Our son, Isaac, can do it just like his mom. Sammy is like me. He can't do it. That's a genetic trait that is passed down from our parents. Whether you have uh, dimples or freckles or straight or curly hair, these are all things that get passed down from generation to generation. It runs in the family. There's also like con conditions or diseases that uh, can be passed down from generation to generation. Diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, certain types of cancer. These are all things that run in the family. And the truth is we can all point to things in our family past that have impacted our present and, if left unchecked, will continue to impact our future. Now, what I don't want to do as we talk about moving past our past today is paint this picture that all of us have these horrible backgrounds and these awful experiences because I know that that's not true. Some of you here today had wonderful families and are grateful for the stuff that was passed down to you. And that's awesome. I don't want to take any of that away. And neither am I talking today about those like small annoyances that we all have in our families that you could point to. We all can think of things in our families that we wish weren't really part of our family experience. Like for example, in my family, I know one of the things that drives my wife absolutely crazy is when we're having a conversation and I have a tendency, I don't, I don't know, I'm a little bit ADHD, and I, I, I lose focus very easily. I can be distracted very easily. And we could be in a conversation, and all of a sudden, she'll just see this kind of blank stare come over my face as my mind drifts to something happening here at the church or something else, or even worse yet, sometimes just out of force of habit, I'll grab my phone while she's talking and just start, like, scrolling, and I'll look up, and I'll just see her, like, glaring at me. And she'll be like, are you serious right now? Like we were in the middle of a conversation and you just totally checked out. We all have those like little family annoyances that, you know, we can think about, but that's not really what I'm talking about today. 
I want to dive a little bit deeper today with things that run in the family. And if you have your notes that was in your bulletin today, the first thing that runs in the family is painful experiences. Painful experiences. I realize that this isn't that fun to think about because we all have some painful experiences. I have painful family experiences. For you, maybe it was a parent that wasn't there for you. Maybe it was a mom that tore you down with her words. Maybe it was a dad that was impossible to please or make proud. Statistics show that in a room like this, many of you probably have abuse in your background, whether it be sexual or physical or emotional abuse. Maybe a family member did something to you at one point that impacted and affected the entire family. And I realized this morning that I might be touching on some painful wounds that are difficult to think about, that you try very hard to kind of like stuff and repress and move past because they're too difficult to think about. And, you know, you think that, you know, Pete, I come to church to feel better about myself and you've got me thinking about my worst memories and my worst experiences. Thanks a lot. Well, stick with me because the good news today is that because of Jesus, he makes all things new, all right? And so we're going to hear a little bit more about that in just a moment. So painful experiences is one thing, but the next thing that runs in the family is negative habits, negative habits. Some of us have a difficult time with relationships because of the negative habits that we've learned from our parents. Uh, For example, one of those things that we learn about as we grow up is how to handle conflict. Conflict, as we know, is inevitable in any and all relationships. There is no relationship that is absent of conflict. But winning families, which we talked about last week, know that the goal in conflict is not to win, but to resolve. All right? Conflict is inevitable, but what determines and differentiates conflict that is constructive and can lead to a stronger relationship versus destructive conflict that separates people is how you respond to it. And for some of us, we didn't have a family that modeled how to handle conflict in a healthy way. Maybe some of you, like me, grew up in a family where the goal was to win at all costs. I mean, in my home, screaming and shouting was normal, and so now you think that's normal way to handle conflict. I can't tell you how many times in... um, disagreements I've had with my wife, she'll say, why are you shouting at me? I'm not, and I'm like, I'm not yelling. I'm just very passionate. I'm talking loudly. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever been accused by your spouse of yelling when you don't think you're yelling, but that was modeled for me. That was a negative habit that my parents had. My dad especially was kind of a yeller. Or maybe you learned the silent treatment as a way to respond to conflict, where you just become emotionally shut down and you distance yourself from that person because they've hurt you and you're not going to engage in conversation with them. Maybe you learned or observed passive-aggressive tendencies or you saw blame-shifting or you know, bitterness or revenge. Some of us didn't have healthy families to teach us how to handle conflict the right way. The third thing that runs in the family is generational sin. Generational sin. What do I mean when I talk about generational sin? Well, I know that there's a lot of um, conversation or disagreement even within within the Christian community about whether or not, you know, 
generational curses exist for those that follow Jesus Christ. But one thing is clear, one thing I do believe is that it is not uncommon to see the sinful choices of one generation impact and affect the next generation. For example, like sexual sin, or you heard Pastor Lauren mention alcoholism, substance abuse can, you know, the choices of one generation can affect and impact the next generation. Strongholds like that. And the Bible actually refers to this in a couple of spots. And one of those spots is in Exodus chapter 20 when Moses is recording something that God is speaking to the people of Israel when he says, you must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. And this is the context that God is speaking to the people in. It's in the context of like idol worship and forsaking, you know, him to pursue other gods. And against that backdrop, God says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. What is this saying? Well, the choices of one generation impacts the next. And I want to be sure I'm really clear on this because generational sin is not automatic. We are all responsible for ourselves. We all have to take responsibility for our own choices. And we have a choice. Generational sin is not automatic. You know, there were people in Jesus' day that took this principle a little too far. There were people that thought that everything bad that happened in someone's life was a result of something that they had done in sin or something that their parents had sinned. In fact, there was this one guy who was born blind and some religious leaders came to Jesus and said, whose fault is it that this man was born blind? In other words, like, Jesus, who can we blame? Who's, who's at fault for this man's blindness? They wanted somebody to blame. And look at how Jesus responds in John chapter 9. He says, it was not because of his sin or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Because Jesus would then go on to heal this man's blindness. Listen, we all live in a world that suffers from the effects of sin and not every sin is generational and not every bad thing that happens to you is the result of generational sin. But generational choices, the choices of one generation do impact the next. And I bring all of this up, painful experiences, negative habits, and generational sin, because if we don't deal with it, better yet, if we don't allow God to deal with it, then we'll never have the type of family or relationships that bring life and are fulfilling and that honor God, because what we model today is what our kids are learning. And if we're not careful, that's the habit and the the pattern that they're going to model their families after. And so there's a lot at stake. It's not just your current family dynamic. It is the faith and future family relationships of the next generation. And so a little participation here. I want to ask a question. How many of you have some like in the archives or in your attic or your basement, you've got a trunk of old family photos that when you look at them, you get a little bit embarrassed about like, what in the world was I wearing? What was the fashion back then? What was I doing with my hair, right? How many of you have those photos that you can look back on? And you know, so I, in preparation for this message, I did a quick Google search, awkward family photos. And if you want to have a good time, if you want some laughs, just Google that. There are whole websites devoted to depicting some of the awkward family photos that people have chosen to, you know, 
freeze in time and look back on. And like this first one, for example, I have no idea what this family <laughs> was thinking about when they said, you know what? It would be a good idea, son, if you would put your, your hands around mom's neck. <laughs> Awkward. How about this next one? That dude in the middle seems to be totally fine with the fact that his dogs are about to bite his ears off. Got some turtleneck action going on there. I mean, that is, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, how about the next one? How scared does that little boy look? Like mom and dad are just kissing his cheek and he's like, oh. <laughs> Maybe they're not his parents. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> This next one was captured at the perfect moment. Imagine family photos on the beach and every mom of a toddler knows what it's like when your little one doesn't want to sit still or doesn't want to be held. So I can imagine that toddler just kind of throwing himself back and mom going, no, as the baby starts to fall. Like that was like perfectly timed for that picture. Now this last one I pulled out of the archives and don't laugh at this next family. Yeah, that is yours truly. The one on the left uh, was taken in the late 80s with my brush cut haircut and my awesome gray sweater with my white uh, undershirt on there, my siblings there. And the one on the right is just a couple years later in the early 90s with my flat top haircut and my hot pink t-shirt because I was a California kid. We lived in California when this was taken, but I look at my outfit, I'm like, ah, oh, what was I thinking? Look at those shorts. That does not go at all awkward family photos. Let's, let's move past that. That's a little bit embarrassing. The things that you'll do to connect with your audience when you're a preacher. Show embarrassing family photos. But one of the things I said last week is that no one gets to choose the family that they were born into, and we can't change our past. We can't change what those old family photos looks like. But my question to you this morning that I want you to consider is what do you want your future family or your future relationships to look like? Doesn't matter if you're single or married or single again, what do you want those future relationships, those future family photos to look like? I bet most of you, when you think about your future or your future family or the kind of relationships that you hope your kids have, is that you're, you're wishing for them to be successful, you want health, you want peace in your family, you want joy, you want happy memories. You know, you want to have families that honor God. But the truth of the matter is, if we want that type of future for ourselves and for our children, then there's going to be some decisions that we make today in order to move us towards the future that we want. And so for the rest of our time here this morning, we're going to talk about four things to help us move past our past. And the first one is that I need to acknowledge my own mistakes. I need to acknowledge my own mistakes. Now, this is the starting point for all of us. But let's face it, not many of us are good at or want to admit our own mistakes. We'd rather blame someone else for all of the problems in our lives. I mean, this happens from our earliest memories. Like, I've got two boys. You know, Sammy is eight and Isaac is six, and it is not uncommon for them to be arguing or fighting because that's just what brothers do. And when they're fighting, it's not uncommon for us to hear things like, Sammy, he did it first, or Ike was mean to me. You know, yes, I took that right out of his hand, but that's because he wasn't sharing. 
You know, my youngest, Isaac, has a tendency where uh, he just instinctually, immediately responds with physical violence. And so we'll have Sammy come running in the house a lot of times like, Isaac punched me in the stomach. And I'll ask my son, did you punch him? And he'll be like, yeah, but that's because he was being mean to me first. Right? It's just natural, right? And we're always blaming someone else for the things that we've done wrong. And a lot of us, let's be honest, we don't really grow out of that, do we? It just sounds different as we get older. We don't want to admit our own mistakes. It just takes on a different form. It's not my fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my employee's fault. It's my mom's fault. It's the government's fault. I don't know whose fault it is, but it's certainly not my fault. Here's a principle I want to share with you, and we'll see this in Scripture in just a moment, but it's this principle of you can't correct what you won't confront. You can't correct what you won't confront. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, well, I am confronting. They're wrong, and I'm confronting them to show them how they're wrong. But put the brakes on for just a second. Let's slow down. You've got to confront what's wrong in you first. We've got to be honest about our own shortcomings. One of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, John, wrote this in 1 John 1.8. When he said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We've got to confront the sin in our own lives if we're ever going to move past our past. And here's the truth about relationships, especially in families. As long as we blame, we're never going to be happy. No one that lives in a lifestyle and has a habit of blaming others for everything that's wrong in their life is ever happy. They're always at unrest. Every time we blame someone else, it's like we're handing our happiness to that person and saying, here's my joy and I'm not going to be happy again until you give it back. That's why blaming others never leads to peace. It only leads to bitterness. Tough question for you on this note. When you think about your current family or the family you grew up in, certain relationships that you have in your life, is there a conflict in any of those relationships that perhaps God would have you take ownership of instead of blaming others like you've been doing? Tough question, but it's one that's worth asking yourself and worth spending the time to consider and answer. Is there any conflict that's happening in any of your relationships right now, family or otherwise, that instead of just blaming them because they were wrong, that maybe God is trying to have you take some ownership of this morning? I'm not saying that'll fix everything, but it is the starting point. Now, do things happen to us that are outside of our control and the fault of someone else? Absolutely. Absolutely. But in order to keep our families and our future healthy, this principle is difficult but absolutely necessary. We've got to admit our own mistakes. The next thing that runs in the family, the next way we move past our past is that we've got to abandon our right to get even. You've got to abandon my right to get even. 
How many of you have ever watched like um, animal shows or discovery or nature shows? Some of you, okay. Like a lot of times if I'm just kind of mindlessly surfing, I'll kind of pause when I see a nature show and you see predators and prey and all this stuff. It's just kind of like, I don't know why, it's just easy to kind of zone out to when I'm watching that. There was this one show a couple years ago that I was watching where it was showing some jackals. And if you don't know what a jackal is, it's like a small to medium sized dog, wild dog. And this one jackal was trying to take down a deer, but the deer was bigger than him and he couldn't do it. And so it showed this jackal just like biting at the ankles and the heels of this deer. Little bite here, little bite there, you know, and eventually the, the, the deer started to lose some blood. A Couple more bites. And eventually the deer lost so much blood from these little bites at the, at the heels and at the ankles that it finally fell over and passed out. Once it hit the ground, then it was all over. And what I'm saying is that a lot of times, you know, in our family and in relationships, it can be very easy and very tempting to want to bite back at people who we feel who have wronged us. You know, because we've got to get even. But when we do that, it's like, bites at the heels of a relationship that have given enough time and given enough bites, that relationship will eventually die. Peter wrote this, Jesus' friend Peter in 1 Peter 3.9 said, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. And see, that's what revenge is, this desire to give someone a piece of your mind, insult for insult, are like those little bites at the ankles of the deer. And given enough time and given enough insults, given enough bites, that relationship will eventually suffer and die. And with our family, we often know just the right words to say to sort of get under their skin, don't we? How many of you know that you've got like, if they're next to you, don't raise your hand. But like we all have family members that know how to push our buttons better than anybody else, right? It just kind of gets you fired up and angry because family knows us better than anyone else. And they know the things to do or the things to say to get under your skin and just get you all fired up. And it can be easy and tempting to want to exchange insult for insult. But eventually, if we do that, the relationship suffers. So turn to your neighbor right now and say, don't be a jackal. Careful what you say. You might want to say something else, but jackal is the word. All right, don't be a jackal. So what do we do? Okay, Peter continues in this verse when he says, instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you a blessing. Do you see the promise there? That if you resist the urge and the temptation to bite back and exchange insult for insult and instead bless them, God promises to bless you in return. So even if you're not doing it for them, do it for yourself so that you can receive a blessing from God. I've never seen a person who is always looking to get even at peace. They're always at unrest. Conflict always follows that person. The writer of Hebrews writes it this way. He says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. And that's the key part of this verse. Watch out, he says, so that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you corrupting many. If you're always looking to get even, if you don't learn to forgive, eventually that unforgiveness turns into a poisonous root of bitterness that not only poisons your soul, 
This verse says it corrupts many. Everyone that you're in relationship with is affected by that bitterness that's in you. And maybe you're thinking, you know what, Pete? It's just not that easy. You don't know what they've done to me. It sounds great and all to just exchange blessing for insult, but that's not real life and it's not that easy. And you know what? You're right. I don't know what they did to you. And I know it's not easy, but the good news is that we're not left to our own strength to abandon our right to get even. See, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit lives in you. And it's the same spirit that enabled Jesus while he was hanging on a cross for our sins. And while people were hurling insults at him, the people that he was dying for, he would cry out and say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God has been shed abroad or poured out into our hearts. You have the same love that enabled Jesus to forgive his murderers lives inside of you. That's called grace. I talked about grace a couple weeks ago. Not only is grace unmerited or undeserved favor, grace is also divine empowerment. When his Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, he gives you his power and his strength to forgive people who don't deserve it, to forgive people who've wronged you and have hurt you. So I want you to underline in your notes that phrase, God's grace. Because that is the key. God's grace is what gives you the ability to abandon your right to get even and to forgive those who've hurt you. We've got to actively apply God's grace to that person and that relationship. And that's what number three is all uh, all about. We've got to apply God's grace. Now, is this normal in our culture? Absolutely not. But God's grace isn't normal either. Does that person deserve it? Probably not. But I haven't deserved God's grace either. None of us have deserved the grace that he has given to us so freely. Because if you go back to that verse in Hebrews 12, 15, that phrase has always stood out to me, that poisonous root of bitterness. Now, for those of you that have a house that has a lawn to maintain, how many of you really enjoy keeping your lawn looking nice? Any of you like me that want to have, you know, a lawn that is the envy of all of your neighbors? I struggle with that a little bit. I honestly do. Uh, when we bought our home a couple of years ago, the previous owner had the lawn perfectly manicured. I mean, it was perfect. It was lush and it was green. There was not a weed anywhere. The edges were perfectly trimmed. The flower beds were perfectly manicured. I mean, it was beautiful. I'm like, this is my kind of lawn. Now, in the two years that we've lived there, I've not kept up with the lawn treatment that the previous owner was doing. Several times a year, they would come and spray the lawn, keep it looking nice, keep the weeds out, the bugs out. I've not kept up with that. And this spring, we've really noticed that Wow, there's a lot of wheat. There are dandelions everywhere in our lawn. What am I trying to say? Well, it is very easy to tell the difference between a lawn that has had something applied to it and a lawn that has not. And in the same way, our relationships, it's very easy to look at a relationship and see one that has God's grace been applied to it and relationships where we don't apply God's grace. We've got to apply God's grace to the people and relationships in our lives. Relationships with people that are applying God's grace are richer. They're fuller. There's not poisonous roots of bitterness popping up and spoiling that relationship. 
They're life-giving. They're, they're joyful. Got to apply God's grace. Because I'm not sure if God really cares if we've got a healthy green grass, but I know that he cares what the relationship in our life are like. Jesus illustrated this once when Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive a brother or sister who's offended me or sins against me? Up to seven times? And now, see, in this moment, Peter knows that in the Jewish tradition, rabbis would teach that you needed to forgive someone three times before you move on. It was like a three strikes and you're out rule. And so knowing that Jesus is all about forgiveness, Peter thinks he's really impressing Jesus when he says, do I need to forgive them seven times? He's like upping the bar. And, you know, in that culture, the number seven represented like perfection or completion. And so he thinks he's impressing Jesus when he says, how about seven times? Do I need to forgive them seven times? Look how Jesus responds in verse 22. No, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And most translations actually translate this 70 times seven. Now, is Jesus saying that we need to forgive people 490 times and then you're off the hook? No, the principle here of what Jesus is saying is that don't keep track. Don't keep track of how many times you're forgiving someone. Don't keep score because when you do, that's when you're always looking for opportunities to get even. And Jesus would go on to say in the same passage that if you don't apply God's grace to others, then he won't apply his grace to you. In verse 35, he said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I don't know about you, but I think I've needed God's forgiveness and grace more than 490 times. I realize this isn't easy, especially if someone has hurt you or betrayed you. Because it kind of feels like you're letting them off the hook. You're like, what the heck? Don't, they they got to pay for their wrong. But this has more to do with you and your relationship with God than it has to do with the other person. It doesn't mean that that relationship is going to be restored. It doesn't mean you may never speak to that person again but you've still got to abandon your right to get even and just apply God's grace to that person. One more thought for you today when it comes to moving past our past and family relationships. As I said, we can't change the past and we can't control how other people, what other people say or do. But the action that I'm hoping all of us will walk away with today is number four, agree that it stops with me. Agree that it stops with me. As I said, none of us got to choose the family we were born into, and we might have inherited some less than desirable traits from our parents, maybe even some genetic disorders, but today we have a choice when it comes to stuff in our past. We can move past those things that have had an impact on us, and if we're not careful, we'll continue to impact our future. Or we can agree that whatever it is, listen, it stops with me. It stops with me. Maybe your family has a history of alcohol or substance abuse. You can decide today that with God's grace, it stops with you, that you're not going to continue to pass down that trait to the next generation. Maybe your family has a history of sexual sin or abuse. Agree today that it stops with me. Maybe your family has a history of discouragement or hurtful words or screaming and shouting. You can decide and agree that today it stops with you. Painful experiences, 
negative habits and generational sin, all of it today can stop with you if you make the choice. How do we do that? That sounds so easy. Oh, just, yeah, agree today that it stops with you. How do we do that? Well, we do that by going all in as we follow Jesus Christ. Because if anyone is in Christ, Scripture says, he is a new creation. Behold, all things, old things have passed away, and all things have become or are being made new. If we will go all in, in a passionate pursuit of following and loving Jesus and doing life his way today, these things that run in the family and have impacted our relationship can stop with you by the grace of God. When I think about the way that we've grown as a church and the number of young families that are present here and how I believe that God has called us to reach so many more, not only in West Seneca, but in Western New York, I see a church full of people that I want God to produce healthy relationships in your families, healthy marriages, healthy families. But a church that does good in the community is simply made up of individuals who've committed to put God first in everything in their lives. I realize that the principles we're talking about today may not change some of the unhealthy or dysfunctional dynamics in your family. And like I've said many times already today, you can't change the past and you can't control what other people say or do. But what I'm hoping that we'll all be sensitive to today is this idea of what is God speaking to you to do when it comes to your family and your relationships? Let's just do our part. Let's trust him with the results. We can't control what other people say or do. Let's choose to do what Joshua did. And I know I closed last week's message with this verse, but it fits so well with the talk today that I want to close with the same verse. At the end of Joshua's life, he would say to the people of Israel, listen, you all choose who you're going to serve because I can't choose for you. You can't choose for your kids. Nobody can choose for you. You've got to choose for yourself. But Joshua said, as for me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. So who are you going to serve? Only by his grace can you acknowledge your own mistakes. Only by his grace can you abandon the right to get even. Only by his grace can you apply his grace to the people and the relationships in your life. But today by his spirit, I pray that you will agree and make a decision and make a choice. Because at the end of the day, we make our choices and our choices define us. Our lives are the sum total of the choices we make, good or otherwise. That is truth. That is a principle that is universal. And you can make a choice today to go all in in your pursuit and following Jesus and trust that he's going to help you build families and relationships that are fulfilling and that honor him. Can I pray for you today? Lord, I just, I know that in a talk like this, there are people here today who have experienced more pain at the hands of family members than maybe anyone else. And so to hear about abandoning our right to get even or applying God's grace can feel like an impossibility. And so, Lord, I just, I simply ask that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would 
just do some spiritual surgery in the hearts of people who have been holding on to the hurt and pain of the past, whether it be abuse or neglect. Lord, would you give us the courage to open up our hearts and allow you to come in and that we would see, God, we would remember those instances where we were wronged or hurt and see that you were right there crying and grieving and that we would hand you that painful memory and invite your spirit to come in and heal the parts of our heart that are hurting and broken. Lord, I pray that today we would, you would speak to each of us and that we would walk away with just the courage to do what you're asking us to do. For some, it might be to just give up on trying to get even with someone who's wronged us. Maybe we need to just give grace. But today, for all of us, Lord, I pray that we would choose that it stops with me, that from this day forward, I am going to follow Jesus. I'm gonna live life the way he tells me to live life and trust that he wants me to experience abundant life. And so with all heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you've never stepped into God's family. You've maybe grown up around church. Maybe you've heard about Jesus, but you've been skeptical. Maybe you've got doubts and questions. And today you, you can't deny the fact that maybe there's something, the Holy Spirit's like kind of tugging on some strings in your heart. You feel this prompting inside of you. That's the Holy Spirit that's drawing you and saying, hey, I want to come in. I want to invite you into God's family. I want to come in and live inside of you to give you the strength and the power you need to have the kind of relationships that are available. If that's you here today and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, which doesn't mean that all your questions or doubts are going to be answered, but you've been presented with enough evidence to know that Jesus Christ is a really person who really walked this earth and really died on a cross for my sin. And there's more evidence that points to the fact that he rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm going to choose to put my faith and my trust in him so I can belong to his family. If that's you here today and you want to enter God's family, would you just simply raise your hand so that we can pray together as a church family and welcome you into God's family? Anybody here today that wants to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, simply raise your hand and we'll welcome you today. God, I thank you for every person in this room. And Lord, I thank you that as a community of faith, you are teaching us how to do family and relationships in a way that not only honors you, but that brings joy and satisfaction into our lives. And I pray that for the sake of our children, for the sake of the next generation, Lord, you would help us to make a decision today that it stops with me. And from this day forward, we're gonna serve and follow Jesus. God, we love you so much. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for the families that have yet to walk through these doors to find the grace, hope, and healing that's available in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen.